0: Well, about four years ago, my three brothers and I started uh, taking an annual brother's trip. And uh, this year we went to Atlanta. And every year, every year, we strike the same pose and we take the same photograph. <laughs> I know it's goofy, but here it is. And so this year, uh, this, we, we grew up Mike, Jeff, Steve, and Tommy. Now we're Mikey, Jeffy, Stevie, and Tommy. And we, we just do this goofy thing. We've been doing it since the mid eighties actually, but order from oldest to youngest. And so Mikey, he's an attorney in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, where we grew up. Uh, he still has a subscription to Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, he, he, uh, four years ago when our mom found out that we were doing a brother's trip, she said, well, I guess I'm not invited. (laughs) <laughs> and Mike, the logic, he said, Mom, it's a brother's trip. So that airtight logic, you can see why he's good in the courtroom. Jeffy, second from the right, he just retired at age 60. He's taught in international schools for about 35 years. Uh, Venezuela, Morocco, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Bangladesh, and now his wife's still teaching. So they live in uh, Vietnam. But uh, he's going to drive our mom up here in about three weeks. So you may see him in the foyer. Uh, with my mom, Tommy on the far left. He's a math professor at a small liberal arts college in uh, south of Boston. And after we were in Atlanta, we went to Hattiesburg for about five days, and, we, and Tommy and I did a bunch of home improvement stuff and five times in stores people stopped us and said, are y'all twins? One time it happened two times in Best Buy. Uh, this lady was staring at us and Tommy said, go ahead and ask. So you're all twins? And so that's one of the great disappointments in my life is that we look so much alike <laughs> at this time. <clears throat> so we did all sorts of amazing things in Atlanta. We went to the Center for Civil and Human Rights, a very moving, very moving experience. Went to Shakespeare Theater. We saw a Midsummer, Night, Summer's Night, Midsummer Night's Dream. I enjoyed what I was awake for. Uh, We went to the world's largest drive-up fast food restaurant, the Varsity. Uh, You should go there once and no more than once in your life. It's totally disgusting food, uh, but it tastes good. We toured CNN. We tried to solve a bunch of the world's problems. We mainly sat around misremembering our childhood. So we had a great time. And then we went to Hattiesburg for um, five days. I don't know if you can tell, but I love my brothers. I absolutely love my brothers. And that love has grown over the years. But I would also affirm the truth of Proverbs eighteen twenty four, which says, a man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Closer than a brother. I have several friends that are like 10 times closer to me than my brothers. They know 10 times more about my heart and my life than my brothers do. Part of it's geographical. My brothers are one to 6,000 miles away. Uh, Part of it's commonality. Uh, My brothers and I are in all different places spiritually, but my good friends, who love Jesus, they want to know him with all their heart, and they want the same for me. And so they encourage me in deep, nourishing, spiritual ways. We're in the midst of a sermon series we've entitled Alive and Well. We're, we're discussing how to thrive in some of the core relationships in our lives. Last week, Sam talked about Uh, steadfast love as the the foundation of a biblical friendship. And he said something that I absolutely agree with. He says that friends clearly love and care for each other, and yet they have no official obligation to do so. So you don't have to love your friends. Uh, You get to choose your friends. You don't get to choose your brothers and sisters. You don't get to choose your parents. You don't even get to choose your brothers and sisters in Christ. You show up in a family. But your friends, you get to choose your friends. It's a preferential relationship. You you are friends with someone because you prefer them over others. It might be their personality, might be common interests, uh, it might be shared convictions, it might be some other intangible. But today we're gonna continue the conversation about these friendships. And we're gonna talk about distinctively Christ-centered friendships. One of our core values at faith, these are the things that we seek to to define us. One of our core values is authentic community. And in that that value, we talk about about, uh, biblical friendships. We, We say it this way, God created us to live in community with one another. We seek to cultivate deep spiritual friendships and other healthy relationships of accountability, belonging, and care. And so the fact that you need others in the body of Christ is no flaw. We reject the thinking that says, well, if I were mature enough or if I were spiritually committed enough or if I were zealous enough, I wouldn't really need other believers. No, we believe we were designed to to live in community with one another. And so these deep spiritual friendships we're going to talk about, they're not only a source of pleasure and a source of joy. They should be that. You should look forward to being with your friends. But they're also a lifeline. Sometimes they are, they are a lifeline like nothing else. You might find that you are, you are in a, a terrible place in your walk with God. You might be full of doubt. You might be full of temptation. You might be full of despair. And your spiritual friends may be the thing that tether you to Christ and to the body of Christ. Therefore, we seek to cultivate deep spiritual friendships so we aren't passive in the process. You don't sit at home on your couch and wonder, I wonder why I have no friends. I wonder why I don't just have all these deep spiritual friendships. No, we, we have to pursue these, these friendships. And this will require a vision for friendships, it's what Sam talked about last week. And it will require a commitment to invest deeply in our friends. Next week, we're going to talk about the last line in there, the last phrase. We're going to talk about other healthy relationships of accountability, belonging, and care. Biblically speaking, we need relationships beyond friendships. And so friendships should not become uh, focused inward. They're not uh, self-centered. They're not cliquish. No, they should be cultivated in the broader context of the body of Christ. There's these 39 one another's, we won't talk about all of them next week, but there's these 39 one others you can't live out the Christian faith without a broader community. So this morning I want to talk about a progression in cultivating deep spiritual friendships. We'll first talk about finding friends and then we'll talk about deepening friendships. So first, finding or recognizing spiritual friendships. We should probably acknowledge up front that for some people, this is very intuitive. You just kind of effortlessly make friends, and you just realize, I have many of these deep friendships. I just connect easily. Others of you would probably say, yeah, that's not the way it works in my life. I have to be very intentional, very deliberate about friendships. If so, here are a couple of biblical suggestions. First of all, ask God to give you spiritual friendships. You request these, in other words, is pray that God would give you spiritual friendships. There's a couple of biblical principles behind this suggestion. The first is that, that friendships are a gift, and the word gift, uh, is the word grace is, is a gift, and so friends are pure grace. Uh, Not everything in your life is that way. So your paycheck, for example, uh, when your employer puts that money in your account, you don't go to him, him or her and say, that was so thoughtful of you. Once again, this month, you have given me money in my account. No, you earn that. You deserve that. Friendships are not in that category. Friendships are pure grace. You don't deserve Friends, you can't go to somebody and say, I demand that you be my friend. No, they're preferential relationships and they are a gift, they're a gift from God. And we learn in James 1.17 that all good gifts are from God. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So if you've got something good in your life, like relationships, food, shelter, peace. If you have anything good in your life, ultimately it is a gift from God. He's a good father. He knows how to give good gifts to his children. And throughout the Bible, one thing that's that's very apparent is that God wants us to ask him to give us Gifts. And so when you pray, you don't demand, God, I want this, this, and this. You ask Him to give you things that He already wants to give. That's apparent in passages like like Matthew 6 in the, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, Do not be like the Gentiles, don't be like people who don't know God. Who use meaningless repetition, thinking that they can wear God out by being verbose. Well, if I just pray enough words, or if I just have the right exact kind of like a magic incantation, then I'll get what I want. Jesus says, No, don't be like them. Your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask. And, And so often the case, Jesus' logic is different than ours. We might think, Well, if God knows my need, I don't need to ask. Jesus' logic is, since God knows your need, you have the freedom to ask, and you can ask with confidence. And so, uh, God knows our need, so we pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Applied to today's topic, it would be appropriate to, to pray, Heavenly Father, I know you know my need to have good, deep, biblical friendships. Would you supply them? Would you grace me with these relationships? As James, James 4.2 suggests, let it not be said that we do not have because we do not ask. Let it not be said, I don't have any spiritual friendships because I've never asked God to supply them. Now, of course, praying for a spiritual friendship isn't merely mouthing the words. It involves wanting something and uh, wanting something that God wants for you, so much so that you cry out to God for it. And so I would ask you directly here before we go on, uh, do you want deep spiritual friendships? Is that a desire of yours? Do you see the importance of those friendships In your life? Do you see that you need a lifeline? You need to be tethered to Christ and to the body of Christ through these deep spiritual friendships or not? If you don't really want these friendships, I would encourage you to make that a matter of prayer. Admit it to God. Allow him to convince you. If you do want spiritual friendships, the place to start is to ask. You don't stop there, but that's a place to start. God, would you supply and there's an interesting dynamic at play. It's, it's true generally in prayer. But if you ask God, would you give me a spiritual friend? And then he supplies it, you'll recognize God is good and this friendship needs to be cherished. You'll be much less likely to neglect that friendship uh, or let it die for some other reason. It's just a coincidental acquaintance if you really believe God has supplied this. So ask, the second thing I would, would, would add is be the friend that you want. Be the friend that you want. And this is an application of Matthew seven twelve, which is, is known as the golden rule. Toward the end of the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave this very simple yet profound uh, uh, principle about relationships. He said, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. You want a neat summary of what the law and the prophets, the Hebrew Bible says about how you should treat other people? This is it. And again, as Jesus so often did, he inverts the way we normally think. We normally think, I'm going to treat you the way you treat me, or I'm going to treat you the way I think you deserve to be treated. Jesus says, no, actually, you in your mind go, how would I want to be treated? And that's how I'm going to treat the other person. And so if I wouldn't want to be insulted or belittled or ignored, I shouldn't treat others that way. And it seems to me that the golden rule provides a pathway for deep spiritual friendships and for for recognizing friends. And so as you get to know someone, and it could happen here on Sunday morning, it could, maybe you're in a campus group, and, and it could happen there. Uh, maybe it's in your life group. One of the, the main values of life groups is not what happens in the group, but the friendships that develop there. It uh, could be on a, a, a team you serve on, but you recognize that someone is a potential friend. The thought comes to you, this might be somebody I might really connect with on a spiritual level then you start being the friend that you want. Start treating that person the way you would like him or her to eventually treat you. And so if you desire a friend who is genuinely concerned about the details of your life, not in a superficial way, but genuinely concerned about the details of your life, start being concerned about his or the details of his or her life. Several years ago, I had a, this budding friendship, and this, uh, this guy, it was about three sessions, but over three sessions, he, he must have asked me for three hours of questions, just wanting to know my life, wanting to know my, my story. And that really has really set the tone for our, our relationship. He was being the friend that he wanted out of me. Or if you desire to have a friend that, that is generous to you in terms of time, in terms of resources, start being generous to that person. Hey, uh, if, you, if you notice they're in a tough spot, hey, what, what can I do? What can I bring to you? What can I do for you? What do you need? Just blank check. What, what can I do for you? That, that's a way to communicate. This is the type of friendship I'm looking for. Um, And so you get the idea, instead of waiting for this fully mature spiritual friendship to just just arrive, uh, you start treating the person the way you want to be treated. And I would encourage you to let God surprise you. You might have in your mind, this is the type of friend that I want but God might surprise you. He might give you a friend that's very different than what you, you expected. And might have differences when it comes to education or, or occupation. Might have, be somebody that is not really close to you in age. Might be a lot older, a lot, lot younger than you. Allow God to, to surprise you. And so, finding friends or recognizing friends. The second thing I want us to think about is deepening spiritual friendships. Let's say you already have a spiritual friendship. Uh, how do you deepen that relationship? But before we talk about deepening, I just want us to, to acknowledge that relationships need to be tended. You have to tend to relationships because they can go bad. And if a deep spiritual friendship goes bad, uh, the pain can be debilitating. It can be more more devastating than you realize. And the Bible actually talks about actually records, give us example of a number of failed friendships. Uh, one, is, one is found in Psalm 41. David has this lament. He says, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And so David brought to mind this close friend. Uh, this is somebody who sat in his house and ate his food. Uh, Table fellowship indicates relationship and acceptance. And yet now this friend had lifted up his heel against him. And so there was this sense of betrayal. And because friendship uh, friendship is a preferential relationship, it's not obligatory. It was all the more painful for David to have a friend who had betrayed him. And of course, this makes us think about Jesus and Judas in the Gospel of Matthew. This is the way Judas' betrayal is described. It's very, very interesting how Jesus speaks here. Now, he who was betraying Jesus gave them a sign saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, sees him. And immediately, Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, friend, do what you have come for. And they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And so by calling Judas friend, he was highlighting the depth of Judas betrayal. And so Judas wasn't merely an enemy that was out to get Jesus. More significant was the fact that Jesus had treated him as a friend. Uh, Judas had been given this insider information. He said, Jesus said, I don't treat you as servants. I treat you as friends because a servant doesn't know what the master is doing. Jesus had laid it all out there for the disciples. And so when Judas betrayed him, he said, friend, do what you've come for. And so I mentioned these examples not to just throw cold water on this whole topic, but we need, we need to pursue friendships with our eyes wide open. And there is no guarantee that if you initiate a friendship with someone, that he or she will reciprocate. Uh, I have lost over the years a number of deep spiritual friendships uh, due to neglect, due to carelessness. Sometimes it was due to sin. I had a friend, in my, my best friend in seminary probably, this was 30 years ago. Uh, we, we went through seminary together up north of Chicago and yeah, we did a lot of things together. And that relationship ended one afternoon. Uh, he had called me, and I won't give you the details, but but the, the, rela- the, the conversation was so painful that we have not talked since. And for whatever reason, I didn't have the emotional whatever to to make it work. But all that to say, it is possible for deep spiritual friendships to go bad. It's wrong to have the idea, well, if we're really good friends, I shouldn't have to try, or it will just be effortless. That's, that's, not, that's not what we see in Scripture. So you may find yourself wondering, is it even worth taking the risk? I would say absolutely. Biblically and experientially, it is absolutely worth the risk. We were created to live in community, therefore we should pursue deep spiritual friendships. And such friendships are worth the risk because they have the potential to be life-giving and life-saving. If you don't have any deep spiritual friends, if you don't have these friendships, people that will stay with you no matter what, you find yourself in a place of doubt or temptation or despair, you're gonna be in a bad place. That's a a very spiritually dangerous place to be. And so, how do you pursue this type of friendship? Well, basically, you you pursue these friendships by being the best brother or sister in Christ that you can possibly be. You pull out your best Christian stuff in this relationship. And uh, Again, next week, we're going to talk about the, the one and of Scripture. But, but you, you do the one and of Scripture most intently and most deliberately in these friendships. You don't coast. You don't assume that good friendships are effortless or easy because they're often not. Let me give you an example. First Peter 1. Peter writes this, from 1 verses 22 and 23. He says, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. In your deep spiritual friendships, you have this opportunity to fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. The reason you can love each other fervently is because you have... You're a new creation in Christ, and you have something to offer. You've purified your soul so that you have a fervent love to offer the other person. You can love sincerely, meaning without hypocrisy. You love others the way you've been loved by Jesus. He says you've been born again, whereas you were dead in your sin. Now you're spiritually alive. You're as alive to God as Jesus himself. You bring that life to the relationship. You can give life to the other person. You want for your friends what Jesus wants for your friends. You say to your friends the same thing you understand Jesus wants to say to your friends. You do for your friends the very things that Jesus would do if he were bodily present with them. And so this means that there there will be times... When you say some hard things to your friends, and again, this has got to be a reciprocal thing. You love one another fervently. If it's just going one direction, that's not a friendship. It might be, you might be a, th- a counselor or a therapist or a mentor, but if it's a friendship, it's mutual. There's this mutuality. And there will be times when you do what Paul says in, in Romans 15, 14, admonish one another. You warn one another. You say to your friend, I see something in your life that concerns me. We need to talk about this. I love you enough not to just let this go. And you have to be, you have to be a friend to get away with this. Try doing this to, to somebody that doesn't trust you. Try doing this with somebody who doesn't view you or experience you as a safe person. Try doing this with somebody who doesn't trust your motives. The, it's going to go bad. It's going to go really bad. They're going to think you're being mean and judgmental. It will be hard with your friends, but they can receive it because you're safe and you're for them and they trust you. I can think of n- numerous times when I have had close friends who have urged me to do the right things in situations when I didn't, I didn't feel like it. And so I would tell you, for me, uh, I've got friends that have, have saved me from disaster on numerous occasions for me, deep spiritual friendships are not a luxury they are a necessity they 're not icing on the cake they are part of the cake okay I have to have these friends in my life or bad things are going to happen. I can remember times when I'll come to a friend and I'll lay out a situation before him. I'll say, this is what happened. This is what this, this is what this interaction was like. How should I think about it? How should I feel? What should I do? And at times this friend has said, "Uh, yeah, actually you crossed a line there. You misspoke. You mistreated that person. You need to go. You need to make it right. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. I trust him enough. I say, I will do it. I will do the hard thing. And I'm accountable to him to do it. There are other times when, when, uh, he said to me, yeah, you know, that's not on you. That is not your fault. <laughs> you don't need to own that. And I'm like, okay, I will feel different about that. I will think differently about that. And so, uh, I know I'm being vague here, but hopefully you hear me saying, sometimes I trust my friend more than I trust myself. And so the point is that deep spiritual friendships make us more like Christ. Deep spiritual friendships, they don't baptize your anger and your anxiety. They don't tell you, oh, that's fine, no matter what they hear. No, they, they want you to be more like Christ. And so this means, among other things, that friendship should never be cliquish or exclusive. It's true that you can only have a few deep spiritual friendships, but our friendship should never give the impression, oh, me and my friends, we only care about us. We don't care about anybody else. No, Christ-centered spiritual friendships should expand our capacity to love other people. They should make our world larger not smaller. Our friendship should make us more compassionate and more generous toward other people. Why? Because that's what Christ is like. I so much want for every single person here to have these deep spiritual friendships. And this may be a a painful topic for you. Some of you are full to overflow and all your slots are filled. You don't have time or room for any other friendships. Others of you might be very lonely. I would just tell you, it is the will of God that you have deep spiritual friendships. Want them. Ask God for them. Pursue them. If you need help, there is help. I want to close by by reading an account Gordon MacDonald gave of one of his deep spiritual friendships. Uh, When he wrote this in 2004, it's in his book, A Resilient Life. But uh, he was 62 years old. His friend Al was 72 years old. But this is, this is what he wrote. He says, There will be few memories in my life more precious than the long hike I took three years ago in the Swiss Alps with Al and two others. The trail we took that day ended up to be far longer and far more difficult than any of us had anticipated. It was about halfway along the pathway when we realized that Al... 10 years older than the rest of us, had become seriously exhausted. There was a considerable distance yet to walk before we might find shelter, and I began to worry. Al had suffered some serious heart problems a few years back, and I was concerned that we had unwittingly put him in a dangerous situation. I suggested that the other two of our four man group hike on ahead and find a place where we might spend the night. Al and I would continue walking, but at a much reduced pace. So I said to Al, We'll take a hundred steps and rest. A hundred more steps and rest. If we're going uphill, you lead. If we're going downhill, I lead. And so we agreed and started on our way. Even with our sequence of a hundred steps and a rest, the way became more and more difficult. Soon we were walking arm in arm, as if one of us was ushering the other down a church aisle. We prayed together, told stories to each other, and whispered words of encouragement. In this fashion, we made our way forward until, as darkness fell, we reached the mountain hotel our friends had found for us. That walk brought me as close to the heart of another man as I have ever experienced. And I read that and I wept because that is a picture of a deep spiritual friendship. You need deep spiritual friends who will not leave you behind. You need people who will take a hundred steps and rest if necessary. A hundred more steps and rest. You need somebody who will walk arm in arm with you at whatever pace you need to go so that you get where God wants you to go in this journey we call life. And so we cultivate these deep spiritual friendships, not because it's just a good thing to do, but because it is God's Design And these friendships, they can be life-giving, and sometimes they are life-saving. We need them. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us these friendships. God, we pray you give us this desire. We pray, God, that in this church and in the body of Christ in Manhattan, that we would have this vision and this desire for these type of relationships. We pray, God, that we would want them, that we would cry out to you for them, that we would be generous enough and honest enough to extend friendship to one another. We pray, God, that our friendships would thrive. We pray, God, we'd do the hard work in friendships, that we would walk with one another, that we wouldn't leave each other behind. And God, we want this for your glory. We want to be the body of Christ you want us to be. And so, God, would you do this in our day? God, would you do this in abundance? We pray in the name of Jesus who calls us friends. Amen.